You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning, everyone. I hope it turns out to be a better morning than the one you're expecting. Good morning, everyone. This is Joe. Joe is going to be signing this morning for the deaf community as I speak. Please pray for Joe. She's asked me not to rap my way through the message this morning. And I do a priest. I'll try, I'll try my best, Joe, okay? I'll try my best. How is everybody this morning? One person is good. How is everyone this morning? Would you stand up for me for a second? Would you take a deep breath? In with your nose, out through your mouth. And in through the nose. And out through the mouth. Now will you raise your hands up high, as high as you can get them up, high as you can. And now get up onto your toes. Now open your toes, now wave your hands. It doesn't mean anything, it's funny to see you all doing it, that's fantastic. You can take your seats again, it's nice to have you. Just make sure you're alive and make sure you're awake. I didn't have a song this morning to start with. I, I did thought I would spare people with more dancing this week. Dancing a couple of weeks ago was probably a bit too much. but uh, So this week I thought I'd be a little bit more sober-minded, you know. I want to look this morning at a message that's kind of related to the message that Tom preached last Sunday. Tom was talking about the feeding of the 5,000 and drew a number of important lessons for our lives out of the feeding of the 5,000. One of the lessons that he drew from that was that it's okay to pray for bread, for daily bread for God's provision. Would anyone say amen? It's a good thing, in fact, to pray for daily bread and for God's provision because Jesus specifically gave us in the prayer that we call the Our Father, the prayer uh, to uh, give us today our daily bread. I want to talk about the next episode, or an episode that happens a little bit after that, and it's strange, when Tom was telling me what he was going to share last Sunday, I said, you know, well, on Sunday week, I'm going to, I was actually planning to talk about this passage, so I think that there may be a connection between the two. You can make up your mind about that, whether or not there's a connection. I feel that there's a connection. I think that, you know, these things don't come without their timing. I'm going to look this morning And this morning's message is called A Sign of the Times. I'm going to pick up the story just after the feeding of the 4,000. There are two major feedings in the Bible. There is the feeding of the 5,000 and there is the feeding of the 4,000. The feeding of the 4,000 is recorded in Matthew's Gospel chapter 15. And in that, we read that Jesus was out and he was feeding not just Jews this time, but he was also feeding Gentiles, which was a bit of a surprise to the people who were looking on from the outside. I'm sure that Jesus was actually going out and actually giving food to the Gentiles. Gentiles being non-Jews, I should, should, shouldn't be using such old archaic words. But what I'm going to look at is two people's responses to Jesus. There are two types of people who tend to respond differently to Jesus. I think most of us are one kind and some of us are another kind and vice versa. A lot of the people you meet in your lives are one kind. One group of people were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how they responded to Jesus and the other group were Jesus' own disciples. And we're going to look at them and see how they understood or maybe misunderstood what Jesus was about. Okay, so we're going to read, there's about 12 verses in total, but I'm going to take it in two episodes. We'll begin with episode one, starting in Matthew's gospel. Uh, It's going to be starting off in verse one. We're going to be going for the first five verses or so. By the way, good morning to everyone down in Cafe Church. I hope you can see me and you can hear me. Okay, here we go. It says this, one day the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test Jesus. 
demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. It goes on to say, Jesus replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means good weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means bad weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Jesus pushed back at them and they came and they said, we want you to show us a sign. Show us a sign of your authority and show us a sign from heaven because it needs to come from heaven. Now, there's a certain attitude that they brought with them because when they came to Jesus looking for a sign, what they actually were doing was they were forgetting that there was a myriad of signs around them. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of, of, uh, of events happening around them. If you take every individual feeding as being an event, there were literally thousands of events going on around them. And in this case, the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and they said, no, what we wanted to do is give us a very specific sign. What had happened in Matthew 15, in the chapter just before this, it says that thousands came to Jesus and they brought their sick to him and he healed them all. He didn't heal a couple of them. He didn't heal one or two of them. He didn't heal the select couple that were just about right. He healed them all. And then he went on after healing them to feed them. Tom went through and it's basically, it's a very similar narrative to the narrative Tom spoke about last week. The disciples say, Jesus said, disciples, you give them something to eat. And they said, where are we going to get food for this crowd? And then Jesus fed them miraculously. And it was after these events that this group of Pharisees and Sadducees came. Now, what were the Pharisees and the Sadducees? For those of you who don't know. So the Pharisees were very, very legalistic people. What they did was they took God's Old Testament, or the Old Testament, what is to us, what they consider to be the scriptures, and they added more and more and more and more rules to it. Approximately 630 by some commentators' estimates. They added these 630 extra rules to the to teaching of the Old Testament to make it harder and harder for people to please God, to make it harder and harder to follow God, if, for people to follow God in their lives. And this is what they did. They took the scriptures and added to it. I love what Charles Spurgeon, who was a who was a 1700s, he was an 18th. That would make him an 18th century preacher who lived in in Britain. Actually, he was a 19th century preacher who lived in Britain. He was one time tackled over smoking cigars. He was one of the most famous preachers who has ever lived, and yet he loved to have a cigar in the evening. That's what he liked to do. He liked to have a cigar. God bless you, Charles. Off you go. He also had the odd tankard of ale, but that's another conversation. He was having a cigar, and somebody came to him. A Christian came to him, a well-meaning Christian, and said to him, Mr. Spurgeon, you see this happened in England, so this is, he said, Mr. Spurgeon, do you not realize a Christian should not smoke cigars? To which Spurgeon said, let me tell you no by. No, he said, Spurgeon said to him, sir, he said, God has given us ten commandments. I do not wish to write an eleventh. I thought, what a great attitude. He wasn't going to be, have legalism put upon him. So off you go and buy cigars next door when you finish the meeting here, okay? Because Charles Spurgeon said it was okay. Go for it if you want to. Knock yourself out. But these people, the Pharisees, wanted to load extra burdens on people's backs on top. The Sadducees were a different kind of a bunch of people. The Sadducees were really political. They were a political bunch. They were also known as the Herodians, known as the party of Herod. And what they were was they believed in only the first five books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's all that they believed. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in life after death. And they certainly didn't believe in the resurrection. 
So when these two people came, you had the expansionists and you had the reductionists who came to Jesus and said to him, we want you to give us a sign. Now here's the thing, they absolutely hated each other. The Pharisees and the Sadducees hated each other. There was a historical enmity between them. They walked across the road to avoid being together. And yet in this case, they took on board the old Middle Eastern proverb, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So because they were both enemies of Jesus, they got together to tackle Jesus and asked him for a sign from heaven, a very prescriptive sign. And Jesus said to them, you know the saying, red sky, we used to say it when I was growing up, it was red sky at night, shepherds, red sky in the morning, take warning, shepherds take warning. Jesus said this, only an even, an adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. Now he gives a sign of a prophet Jonah. Just, just bear with this a second. So he says to them, you've come looking for signs, but you can't even interpret the things that are going on around you. Thousands of people are being fed. Hundreds and hundreds of people are being healed. The blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the people who are mute are having their tongues loose, the paralyzed are beginning to walk again. And you don't see these signs. What's more is you don't see the signs of the trouble that's brewing for this nation and for this city. Because the Romans were beginning to sharpen their knives to sort out the Jews, the rebellious Jews for once and for all. That was their plan. And Jesus said, you know, how to, you know what the weather is going to be like tomorrow, but you can't see what's right in front of you. They couldn't see the wood for the trees. They couldn't see what was right in front of them. Only an evil adult. And he said, I'll give you the sign of Jonah. That's expanded in one of the Gospels. It says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days. But then he will rise again. The other sign of Jonah was that he came and he preached the message to the city of Nineveh and they repented and turned to God. They were the two effective signs of Jonah. What was the attitude of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Do you know what they were? They were the no-intentioners. They had absolutely no intention of believing Jesus Christ. They had absolutely no intention of believing his message. They were only coming to test him to try and find them out. They were operating purely out of their pride and their arrogance and their selfishness. They were just coming along and playing the game, trying to catch him out. They had no intention of believing. Can I just say this? Sometimes there are people in our lives who have no intention of believing. They have no intention of turning to the gospel. They have no intention of being in any way interested in Jesus Christ or his message of life. Forgive me if I say this, but don't waste your time on people who have no intention of following Jesus. You've got to you know, ask God for discernment. Lord, am I wasting my time with this person? Jesus even said to his disciples, if you go into a town and they reject your message, shake the dust off your feet. Get out of that town. Don't hang around there wasting your time. He says, don't throw your pearls before swine. If people have no intention, no interest, don't bother. Don't bother going to them. The Pharisees and Sadducees had no intention. Does anybody know who this is? Anybody know who this is? Uh, Roger, you're my man. This is Uri Gagarin. Yuri Gagarin. As the Russians call him, Yuri Gagarin. If you can say it in Russian, it is even better. Yuri Gagarin. He was the first man in space, the first man to orbit the earth. He went around the earth. And what, anybody know what year it was? 
1961, don't bother with that. 1961, Yuri Gagarin goes around, the, goes around the earth in his spacecraft. And you're going saying, what has Yuri Gagarin got to do with the Pharisees coming to Jesus? Well, here's what Yuri Gagarin has to do with the Pharisees. When Yuri Gagarin went into space and he came down and he landed and Russian Soviet propaganda took over the story of Yuri Gagarin, Nikita Khrushchev, who at the time was the, was the, um, the d- dictator of Russia at the time, what was he known as? The secretary or general, whatever they call him, of Russia, of the Soviet Union at the time, said that he spoke to Yuri Gagarin and he asked Yuri Gagarin, when you were up in space, did you see any God, Yuri? And then he says that Yuri said this, Yuri said, I looked and I looked, but I saw no God. And so Khrushchev went around the place, delighted in his pomp that he was able to announce that Yuri Gagarin went into space and he saw no God. But here's the thing about Nikita Khrushchev, no matter what Yuri Gagarin had seen up in space, he would not have said that there was a God, because it would have gone right in the face of Soviet propaganda and Soviet ideology. Theirs was an atheist theology. So when he went up into space, no matter what was up there, if there was angels singing, they would have paid no attention. They would have said, there is no God in space. And that would have been the end of it. Oh, the only thing that Yuri Gagarin found up there was the first dog in space. Does anybody know what the first dog in space was? The guy, no, not Lassie, come on. It was a dog called Laika. He went up into space and he saw a dog called Laika. And do you know where Laika is? Laika's still up in space. Poor old Laika. Laika lasted a week. Anybody know what the first animal the Americans sent into space was? Here, come on, just for the crack. Anybody know? It was a rhesus monkey, that's correct. Does anybody know what the monkey's name was? Albert. Albert the monkey. Albert named after you, I'm quite certain. Sent up into space. Albert was followed by Albert the second, Albert the third, fourth and fifth. And all of the Alberts, unfortunately, didn't make it back to earth. But there you go. But here was the gig. Their eye was closed. The Soviet eye was closed. There was no way that Yuri Gagarin could have brought back any story from space that they would have believed. But what's worse is that Nikita Khrushchev was wrong about Yuri Gagarin. Because Yuri Gagarin was actually a very devout Christian in the Russian Orthodox Church. And Yuri Gagarin was later quoted by his, uh, by his uh, general and a close friend of his called Volokhov, who said that when Yuri came back, he said, you cannot go into space without God in your head and God in your heart. That's what Yuri Gagarin actually said. But they spun it because they didn't want to see God. No matter what was up there, they wouldn't have seen God because their minds were made up. You take somebody like Buzz Aldrin. Does anybody know what the first food that was eaten on the moon was? Does anybody know? Anybody know? It was the bread and wine. Would you believe that? Buzz Aldrin was, a, was a, an elder in the Presbyterian church that he came from. In, I think it was in Texas. And when he went to space, the first thing he did when the eagle landed on the moon was he broke bread. He remembered the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ on the moon. Hallelujah. And you know what the difference was? When he went up, all he saw was God. But when the Soviets went up, they saw no God. Because they were closed. They had no intention whatsoever. They were full of their own pride and full of their own pomp. It was the time when the Soviet Union was at its highest and its strongest. And it's the same for these Pharisees and Sadducees. They were full of their own pomp and full of their own pride. You know, lads, when we, become, when we get puffed up with pride, it actually begins to affect our, our, our sight. When we get full of pride, we can't see God anymore at work in our lives or in our situations. Do you know that? Here's... here's um, 
Um, I think it was George MacDonald was the old Scottish theologian who described pride as the most anti-God state of heart. When we're full of ourselves, there's no room for Jesus. When we're full of ourselves. This is what C.S. Lewis, he was always going to be quoted, said about pride. I thought this was very good. He said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. You can't see something that is above you when you're constantly looking down on people, when they don't live up to your expectations. And you know, and I think in some ways, we all have prayed. Would anyone say amen? We all have areas in our lives that need to have the prayed stamped out of us because we need to see what's going on above us. Amen? So Jesus jumps into, he has this encounter with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it very, to me, it seems to really gotten under his skin that people could be so blind, that they could see so much going on and then not actually see what was going on, if you know what I'm saying. Going across the boat, on the boat a little bit later with disciples, he said this, later after they crossed the lake to the other side, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They forgot to bring bread. It's a natural thing. Nobody sent a text. Sometimes I get a text coming home. Don't forget to bring home bread. You, you know, bread is just, it's one of those things we kind of almost assume that everybody assumes that everybody else has gotten the bread and nobody is after getting the bread. Nobody's after bringing the bread. What's even worse is they've just fed 4,000 people and there have been dozens of basketfuls left over or a dozen basketfuls in this particular case. There was a dozen basketfuls left over and nobody thought of bringing any of the bread. And Jesus said to them, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, if I was in that boat as we go across the lake and we get to the other side and they, they realize this, and Jesus says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I think I'd be wondering, yeah, I'm sure that's deep, but I haven't got a clue what it means. I think it's probably really, really important, but I don't know what it means. What do you think, Thomas? Having a clue. Do you think you'll understand? I doubt it. You know? I think one after the other, the disciples were going, mm, what does that mean? What does it mean? And then, of course, they said, oh, he's, he's talking with the bread. He's Who was supposed to bring the bread? It says that this, they began to argue with each because they hadn't brought any bread. It was Thomas was supposed to bring it. No, I wasn't supposed to bring it. John said he was going to bring it. No, James, James, I'm not, I'm not to do a bread. Boy. What did one of my the bread man or something? And Peter, Peter, what about you? Uh, uh, oh, I have no bread. I have no bread either. <laughs> they had no bread. And they're thinking, Jesus is really annoyed with them because they have no bread. They have nothing to eat. Is Jesus getting hungry or something? And Jesus says, why are you arguing? Why? He says, so you have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Didn't you just talk about bread a second ago? Weren't we just talking about bread? Jesus says, you have so little faith. You have so little faith. Faith, what are you arguing about bread for? And he, he opens it up a little bit and he says, no, that's, listen carefully and I'll say this one more time. Don't you understand yet, Jesus says, don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves? Remember that, lads? And they're kind of going, yeah, I suppose, yeah, I remember that. And then he says, how many basketfuls you, you were, left, were left over and you picked up? And he says, are the 4,000 I fed with the seven loaves just like 10 minutes ago? And the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Hello? Can you not remember? Then he goes on to say, he says, can't you understand that, I'm, that what I'm saying is not about bread? So I say to you again, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
Did, like, did, move on beyond the bread, lads. I've got the bread. Bread is sorted. It's taken care of. We've got bread covered. If I need bread, I'll just make bread. Don't worry about the bread. You worry about more important things in your life than just bread. Pray for bread. Trust your Father in heaven. And no focus on other things in life. Don't spend your whole life just thinking about the bread. Will there be enough bread? Will there be enough bread? Because the big question for the the people of that society, they were dirt poor. They had very, very little. They scratched a, a living. They had just about enough to make a subsistence most of the time. And most of the time, the people that Jesus were dealing with were farmers. They were totally dependent on the elements around them. That if the crop failed, there was no bread. And that was it. You just had to get on with it. And so because of that, they spent a lot of their time thinking about whether or not there was going to be enough. And the message of today and the message of economics now and always has been, or since economics became a science, if you will, is, is there going to be enough? Will there be enough for you? Will there be enough for me? Is there going to be enough in the future? And if you listen to the ads, or you listen to the messages you receive all the time, there's always a question about, is the economy going to rise? Is it going to fall? Are we all going to have happy lives? Are we all going to have miserable lives? Are we all going to be able to pay for our homes? Are we all going to lose our homes? And this constant message is constantly being peddled. And so we're left in this almost state of anxious condition to know, is there actually going to be enough for us all in the end? I just want to say to you, that's... Him who made the bread for the 5,000, him who made the bread for the 4,000 will make enough bread for you. So we can move on from the issue about bread. And Jesus is talking to two different groups of people. When he talks to to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he's talking to people who are engaging in an active unbelief. They have no intention of believing, just like the Soviets. No intention of believing Jesus. No intention of believing the miracles. No intention of believing his words. No intention of believing in him as the Messiah. It was active. With the disciples, you had a passive unbelief. They kind of wanted to believe, but they didn't get it. They didn't kind of really get Jesus. And they kind of were always left kind of wondering, what, what exactly does he mean? And very often, and as you can see from, from, the, from this short passage, he's spoken cryptically on two occasions. But he comes back to it and he says, why can't you understand that I am not talking about bread? And so I say to you, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was saying to them, you have so little faith. So little faith. I wanted to get a decent definition of what faith, what Jesus was talking about here. And I wanted to get a decent definition of what faith means for our lives. And I came across this one by an old Christian writer called Oswald Chambers. I think this really sums it up well. He said, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. It is deliberate confidence in the character of God. There's an old saying in psychology, apparently, and that is that the best indicator of the future is the past. What people have done before, they tend to do again, especially if it becomes part of their character, who they are. Imagine a a car is stolen for a second. Imagine a car is stolen down two doors up from Tom's house. So two doors up from Tom's house, a car is stolen. The the person rings the guards. Hello, this is the guards. He says, the car has been stolen. Would you please come over and check it out and see what you can do for 
for us. So the car arrives and the guards arrive and they go, who's the most likely person to have stolen this? I know, Tom Burke. He's the guy who stole the car. Why does he, why does he stole the car? I don't know, I just have a hunch. Remember in those old kind of uh, 1970s detective shows, people just had a hunch. You go, I just got a hunch, Bob. You see, n- mostly the police don't go on a hunch. They normally go on a thing called evidence most of the time, but that's, a, that's another day's debate. Why would they not choose Tom as being the most likely person to have stolen the car? Why? Because Tom hasn't stolen a car before. It's not normally in the habit of Tom Burke to go robbing cars of an evening. He doesn't steal cars. Do you don't generally steal cars? I'm not wrong there. Just one or two. Just one or two. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't normally steal cars. So who are the cops going to go after? They're going to go after the guy who normally steals cars. The guy who lives two doors up from Tom. You should see him. How's it going? His name is Decky. Isn't it? You said it. Decky the car thief who lives two doors up from Tom. That's who they're going to go for. Why? Because it's in Decky's character. That's what Decky does. When Decky sees a car, he goes, I wouldn't mind a burn off that boy. That's what Decky thinks. So they wouldn't pick Pastor Tom. They would go for, how would you, Decky? Dole-driven Decky or something, I don't know. They'd go for this, this guy up the street because he has a habit of stealing cars because it's part of his character. What is faith? Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God. You know what he tends to do? He tends to provide for his people. Would anyone say amen? It's in his character to supply for us. Amen. It's in his character to help us find work. Would anyone say amen? It's in his character to help us get favor in the workplace. Would anyone say amen? It's in his character to generally, believe it or not, heal people when they're sick, especially if they're mortally sick. It's in his character to move on people's lives and change their circumstances. Amen? Especially those who love him and want to know him and want to follow him. That's in his character. That's what he's like. And Jesus is saying, this is the character of God, which if our heaven sake switch off about the bread thing and move on and look after your hearts because there's much much more important things at stake here jesus even said this isn't the body more important than food isn't isn't it more important than clothes he says isn't there much more to life man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god and so we make our way back to the the pharisees and the sadducees Jesus said, it says this, that they then understood that he wasn't speaking about yeast and the bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He wasn't talking about yeast, hello. He wasn't even talking about bread. He was talking about the stuff that gets inside you and begins to work its way out through you. The deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. My wife, every now and again, will will bake for me gluten-free bread. I'm a celiac. I can't eat regular bread. If I do, everyone in the room will know about it, but I can't. So I have to eat regular, I have to eat bread that has, contains no gluten in it. So my wife every now and again actually bakes, for, she's a star, she's an angel, she would bake for me fresh gluten bread and she adds a little bit of yeast to it. And the amount of yeast she adds is a tiny amount, but you know, you know where I'm going with this. It works its way through the whole lump and raises the whole lump and makes a fine loaf of bread. It's the same what Jesus is saying here. Just saying a little bit of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees gets inside you and it can begin to change the way you think. It can begin to puff you up. It can begin to alter you and alter your belief system. And we can get stuff into us that just God never intended for to be inside us. You see, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to those who have hard hearts. 
I pray this morning, brothers and sisters, that nobody here has a hard heart towards God. And if you do, if you do, get yourself right with God ASAP. You need to get your heart right before God. And whatever is causing, the Bible calls it a calloused heart. Layers of skin and a hardened heart. Sometimes it comes from disappointment, but everybody has their own route to hardness of heart. But if you've got a hard heart towards your brother or your sister, forgive, let go and grow and begin to move on. Would anyone say amen? That his Pharisees had a hard heart towards Jesus. He had a, they had no intention of following him. Their hearts were closed towards him. But while they had hard hearts, the disciples had what I think a a lot of us have, and I certainly do, and that is a hard head. I can be a bit hard-headed. I can be a bit slow to get things. I can be slow to get the lessons that God is teaching me in my life. I can be a bit slow to depend on his character and continually, and I've done it, bring back the same situation and said, Lord, what are you doing about this? And I sometimes feel the Lord say to me, I thought you left that with me. Yeah, I just thought I'd take it back and have another quick look and see if there's any progress. That ever happened to you? You hand something over to God and 10 minutes later it's like, anything going on there yet? No. And that, that's, that's how I can be. I can be hard-headed in my approach. But it's very important that we, 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 we I, think, I think we need to pray and ask God to get through our hard heads. Amen? Amen. Get through our hard heads. Because most people I know who come into churches like this in the morning do not have hard hearts. They've got soft hearts. But they might have hard heads like me. Does anybody here feel like they might have a bit of a hard head? Yeah. And there's about 50% of us are not honest at all. That's okay. I won't ask you to put up your hands to see how many here have a hard heart. This is what Paul writes. Sorry, forgive me. This is what Paul writes to the early Christians. He writes to Timothy. He says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and for the salvation of those who hear you. Because sometimes when we, when we begin to take on board stuff that isn't good for us. No one talks about your teaching. Your teaching is what, about the way you live. What is instructing you about the way that you should live? That's what he's talking about when it comes to teaching. It's not all that lofty and great theological ideas, though there is some of that in it. But really he's talking about what is guiding the way you live. What is the teaching? What is the manual by which you follow? And he says, guard your life, guard your life that you're not taking on board teaching that is actually ruining your life instead of making your life better. Let me come back to the little, to the gluten-free example. If I eat gluten now, I will know about it in 20 minutes time, trust me, and you don't want to know how I know about it, but I know about it in about 20 minutes, if I eat, especially if I eat a decent quantity of gluten. But for many years, I ate gluten and it had apparently no effect on me. I didn't realize it was having an effect on me, but it actually was having a destructive effect, destructive effect on this upper part of my, of, of my digestive system, up here in the, in the small intestine, a little thing called a villi, which draws the nutrients and the minerals out of, your, out of your food and gets them into your bloodstream and into your system. I didn't realize that, so all the time that I was eating gluten, I was actually slowly but surely degrading my own health, totally unbeknownst to myself, and I never knew it was happening. It can be the same when we begin to consume things that are not good for us. When we can begin to consume things that, that, are, that are destructive to us and that aren't helpful to us. You know, at the end of the day, they say, you are what you eat. What are you listening to? 
What's the message that you're listening to? What are you putting yourself in front of? What message are you filling your life and your soul with? Because you are what you eat. That's what they say. I mean, if you, if you want to change how you are, you've got to change your diet. Whether that's the diet of your mind, the diet of your body, the diet of your soul, the diet of your heart. You've got to change the way you're living if you want to be healthier. And he's saying here, watch the teaching you're listening to. Watch the teaching that is guiding your life. Is it biblical? Is it true? I, I'm after putting away my Bible. Is it biblical? Because here's what was going on with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and I'm nearly done. This is what was going on. The Pharisees were adding, 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 adding to what God's to what God's word was. They were constantly adding extra layers and layers and layers and layers onto onto what God had told them to do. Don't let anybody burden you with more than what God has asked you to do. Would anyone say Amen? Don't let anybody burden you down. That's why Paul said, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't put the yoke of the law back on top of yourself again. Don't be putting all these stupid man-made rules on top of you. And I love what he says, Paul says to the Colossians, he says, he says to them, you know all those rules about don't touch this and don't drink that and don't eat this and don't go there. He says, you know all those rules? They have no power, no power in putting to death the, 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 the things that are destroying you. No power whatsoever. What he says, is says, get in on the spirit of God. Get in the life of God because that will transform you and that will actually sustain you. Don't let anybody add to you. But let me tell you another thing. What were the, what were the Sadducees doing? They were taking away from God's word. They were constantly trying to boil it down, trying to make it less and less of the words of life and more and more into a simple manual for living. They were turning into this kind of practical episode that you work out, but there was no life in it. Can I say this to you? Don't let anybody take away from God's word in your life. Don't let anybody empty God's word of its power in your life. It is life. When you read it, the scripture calls it it's spiritual bread. He said, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't let anybody reduce or take away from what God's word says about you, for you, or about your future. Would anyone say amen? Amen. It's not a manual, it is living, and the words in it are living. You know, when Jesus, uh, when Jesus said to them, no sign will be given to you, he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says to them, other than the sign of Jonah, and it's elucidated in a couple of the other Gospels where it says, for just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, so the Son of the Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days. In the end, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they got their sign. They got the sign that they were looking for. And it is the sign of the times. It has been the sign of all the times since this event happened. Luke's gospel records it very simply in this way. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen from the dead. Speaking of Jesus, he is not here. He is risen from the dead. And that, brothers and sisters, is the sign for the ages. Everything that Jesus said. And everything that Jesus did in his life and in his ministry all hangs on this moment, the resurrection. Because if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, as Paul says, we are to be more pitied than everybody else in the world. That our, He says our faith is useless if Jesus hasn't been risen to, from the dead. But hallelujah, Jesus is risen from the dead. Would anyone say amen? And he says, why do you seek the living among the dead? You know, there's people in your life that are dead. Don't seek life from them. Don't seek life from them. And I, ju- I just want to say to you, I just believe prophetically that God is saying to you, that some of you even this week have been receiving advice from what you might call the living dead. 
People who have not got the spirit of God in them. People who do not have God's wisdom in them. People who do not have God's intentions or God's ways in them. And just be warned. Don't look for the living among the dead. If somebody doesn't know the Lord, the scripture says clearly they're spiritually dead. Don't go for God's life. Don't look for God's life from someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Would anyone say amen? Amen. Be careful. Beware. Beware the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is the sign that was given. That was the sign that was given to everyone. And you know the, 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 the slight epilogue of this story? We're going to finish there in a second. Maybe the worship band will come up. We're going to finish in a second. You know what the simple epilogue of this story? If you read Acts chapter 15, you discover that there were Pharisees in the early Christian church. Some of them, having seen the sign of the resurrection of Jesus, believed in him. Those maybe who had no intention at the start ended up being refuted by the presence, by the actual reality of the, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They couldn't refute it anymore. There were too many witnesses. There were too many people who were able to testify that they had seen him alive and risen from the grave. And so, do you know, when it comes to people who have no hopers, if God deals with them, praise God. But sometimes we need to move on from them. Sometimes we need not hang around with the dead in search for the living. Are you with me? Yes. Will you stand? We're going to pray. We're going to pray. My prayer is simple this morning, and you probably would have guessed it by now. I want to pray this morning for those of us who have hard heads and those of us who have hard hearts, that God would get through our hard heads and that God would soften our hard hearts. Would anyone say amen? amen. It's a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer that we would realize and we would wake up to the character of God and that that would soften, as it were, or that God would get through our hard heads by the fact that we trust and know and depend upon the character of God. We're going to sing. We're going to sing over all the earth. Chian, you're good. Let's sing the song. We sang at the very start. Thank you, Jamie. We'll sing a verse and then we're going to pray. Sunset sky, but my one request, Lord, my only aim is that you reign in me again. Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams. In my darkest hour, you are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again? just for a second just to close your eyes if you're here this morning and realize that your heart has been hard there's nobody looking at you you've got privacy the only person who will be who will see you will be me you will say Lord I recognize I've got a hard heart I've got a hard heart towards you I've got a hard heart towards somebody 
that I'm supposed to love. And Lord, I ask you this morning that you would soften my heart. I, I offer you my prayer this morning. Lord, will you soften my heart? Will you soften my heart towards you or towards that person whom I know I need to soften my heart? If that's you this morning, will you raise your hand? I see your hands. Praise God. Okay, you can put your hands back down again. If you're here this morning and you want to say, Lord, I know that at times my head is hard, Lord. At times, Lord, my head is hard and your word doesn't get through to me, Lord. That your nature and your character doesn't always get through to me, Lord. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would get through my hard head, Lord. Help me, I pray, Lord, to have not such a hard head when it comes to understanding your ways and your purposes and your plans for my life. If you want to pray for the removal of a hard head in your life, would you raise your hand? I'm raising mine. Praise God. Let's just pray. Pray right where you are. We're just going to pray where you are. Father in heaven, for all of those this morning, Lord, I pray for those especially, Lord, with hard hearts, Lord, towards you this morning. Lord, I pray for whatever reason those hearts may be hardened, Lord, we will never know you fully. We will never walk in all of your purposes and your plans, Lord. We'll never know the goodness of God in the way we should if our hearts are hard towards you, our hearts are hard towards those around us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, Lord. By your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, would you soften our hearts today, Lord God. Let your Holy Spirit minister on us, Lord, and brood on us, Lord. Lord, help us, Lord, as it were, to work it out, Lord, in forgiveness, Lord. Work it out in letting it go this morning, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, minister by your Holy Spirit. Minister by your Holy Spirit, Lord, even now, Lord, I pray that hearts, Lord, would be softened. Soften to others, Lord. Soften to you, Lord. For those who want to pray that the Lord will get through their hard hearts. Heads, would you raise your hand? Raise your hand. Will you raise both your hands? Let's lift them both to heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for myself. And I pray for those around me, Lord Jesus. Lord, that you would get through our hard heads about your character and about your ways and about who you are and what you do, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, we would get it through our hard heads, Lord, that you own tomorrow, and so we have no fear of tomorrow. Would anyone say amen? Lord, I pray we would get it through our hard heads, that you love the ones that we love, and so your care for them is greater than ours is for them. Would anyone say amen? We hand them over to you, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would get into our heads, Lord, that you are more concerned about our futures than we are. Lord, let us get that inside our heads, Lord Jesus. Let us get inside our heads, Lord, your character, that what you have done in the past, you will do in the future. Would anyone say amen? That in the way that you have shown up time after time and life after life, you will show up again in the future. Amen. Lord Jesus, we commit all of our lives into your hands. Lord, I pray that nobody here would live a life of active unbelief in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray nobody here in this, in this room, in this hall this morning, Lord, would live a life of passive unbelief, Lord. I pray we would take your word seriously. Take on board what it says about us, Lord. And I pray as well, Lord, for those this morning who are listening to the living dead, Lord. We seek the living one. Would anyone say amen? Lord, we pray that your words of life would be the guiding light, as it were, Lord, of our lives. That your Holy Spirit would bring your words of life and apply them to our hearts and to our lives. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, Amen. Can we raise our hands to heaven as we close in prayer this morning?
Lord, we commit ourselves into your hands this coming week, Lord. I pray, Lord, we won't be fretting about bread this week. Amen? Lord, I pray we won't be fretting with concerns for the future this week, Lord. Lord, but I pray that we would pass our unknown future to a known God this week, Lord. We would trust you with all that's going on in our lives, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, you'd go ahead of us into every situation. That we would know your presence as something really and genuinely alive, Lord, in our lives. Lord Jesus, that we would meet with people that you put into our path, Lord Jesus. Send your angels into our lives. Send the sentinels of heaven into our lives. And let your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name and God's people said aloud. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless and keep you, brothers and sisters. We're done for now. We're here again with tea and coffee being served upstairs. We're here again on Tuesday night. We're going to be here again at 12 o'clock and next Sunday morning. God bless and go with you. Don't forget our growth track from 2 to 3 in the cafe church downstairs. The guys are going to play on.